January 6, 1972. Scottsdale Bible Church had just passed its 10-year anniversary when Dr. Don Sanukian answered God's call to become SBC's third senior pastor, a position he would hold until July of 1979. Under Dr. Sanukian's leadership, God's blessing on the ministries of Scottsdale Bible continued and its biblical footprint grew even deeper and broader. We quickly outgrew our facilities on McDonald Drive and in October of 1974, the members of SBC agreed with the vision of the elders and the SBC leadership team and voted to purchase 20 acres of land on the corner of Miller and Shea Boulevard. But the impact of Dr. Sanukian's ministry went far beyond buying property and constructing new buildings. Dr. Sanukian has had a distinguished career following his time at Scottsdale Bible Church, including serving as associate professor at Dallas Theological Seminary from 1979 to 1988, senior pastor at Westlake Bible Church in Austin, Texas from 1988 to 1995, and currently serving as both senior pastor of the Armenian Christian Fellowship in Costa Mesa, California, as well as the department chairman of Christian Ministry and Leadership at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Don is an outstanding individual, and his family, his wife, and uh, it is a real blessing to kind of uh, be at that age group and see his children grow and see your children grow and know that they were getting fed by what I think is one of the best uh, uh, preachers in this part of the country. One of the things about Don and his preaching, he could take a verse and when he got done explaining it, you understood everything about that verse. You understood the time, you understood the meaning of it. He could, he could dig into a verse and get what it meant at that time better than anybody else I've ever heard. Don galvanized our pulpit with absolutely crystal clear teaching of God's word. Don was a, a very excellent speaker. He had a PhD from UCLA, if I remember correctly, and he really had presence in the pulpit. Scottsdale Bible, I cannot tell you how excited I am for the treat that you have to hear Don address you today. Uh, we've, as you know, been all this year inviting our senior pastors back to talk to us from the Word, Revelation 2 and 3, from the seven churches of just a special message from their heart that we need to hear on our 50th anniversary. And I so wanted to be with you all here today. And as I mapped out the whole year, this is the one Sunday that I'm on my mission trip and, and could not be with you. And so I'll be praying for you and thinking of you. And I'm so excited that Don gets a chance to speak to you. Uh, Don, I want to say a word to you personally. And that is that when you came for my installation five years ago, I will never forget the words that you shared with me and shared with the congregation very pastoral words, very personal words about loving one's pastor. You need to know this church has done that. They've delivered on that for the last five years. But how meaningful that was that you spoke those words to me and that endeared my heart to you. And I'm bummed I can't be there with you today. But thank you, Don, for loving this church as you have all throughout the years, for being one of our pastors. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for speaking the word and sharing your heart with them today. So God bless you.
Nell and I were so pleased to be invited back for this 50th year celebration. We have such happy memories of our time here. Uh, the very first time we walked into Scottsdale Bible Church's auditorium, it was on McDonald. It was our very first Sunday to candidate. And we walked in and there was some guy rehearsing the orchestra in advance in the choir. And Nell just sort of stopped. And she said, this is the place. And when we walked in this morning, and Bill was again rehearsing the choir early, she went, and she said to Bill earlier, don't make me cry. <laughs> I'm so grateful to Daryl and now to Jamie for keeping us connected over the years. This is a special place. Let's suppose that there's a man who owns a furniture store in the city of New Orleans a store that's been in his family for three generations. The store offers high-quality chairs, tables, dining room sets, uh, couches, sofas, that kind of material. The advertising slogan throughout through the years has been, we got it at Dawson's. All the advertising, billboards, TV spots, newspaper ads, flyers in the mailboxes, Always the same, showing people, enjoying the furniture with the slogan, we got it at Dawson's. It's a family business. He inherited from his father. He'd like to pass it on to his kids. But the difficulty is over the past few years, sales have been plummeting. And the reason is because in a tough economy, people don't buy new furniture. It's a luxury expense. It's not a priority. It's a... It's something you can just put off and get along without. I mean, they look at their old couch and they say, the cat has scratched the sides of it, but we can still sit on it. Uh, they look at their dining room table. It's got dents. It's got rings, water spots. Well, it holds the food when we sit down. And so they hang on to their money for more essential things like gas at 4 to $5 a gallon. Okay? And so sales have just been going south. He's already let go several of his longtime employees. He's looking at further cutbacks. His showroom floor, he doesn't have the money to carry much inventory, and so there aren't a whole lot of choices to look at. That's further aggravating his problem. Other large furniture chains in the city have already gone bankrupt. It looks like that's where he's headed to, unless something happens. Everything is spiraling down. One day his salesman comes and says, boss, I got an idea. I got an idea how we can get some buzz in the city of New Orleans, get a little more foot traffic in the store, increase our sales. What's your idea? Mardi Gras is coming up pretty soon. The whole city keys into the Mardi Gras parade. Here's my idea. I've already talked to my girlfriend. She's willing to go along. Let's put our store as one of the floats in the Mardi Gras parade. Let's put a sofa on the float. My girlfriend is willing to lounge on the sofas in some skimpy lingerie. And we'll have a sign in the front that says, I did it at Dawson's. And everybody will whip out their cell phones. And they'll have a picture of our logo and our web address underneath the sign for future shopping. The boss says, let me think about it. The boss is a Christian. 
thinks to himself, Mardi Gras is not exactly a Christian event. Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday is the last day before Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a time of denial and repentance. Fat Tuesday is a day of carousing, feasting. It's a day to live it up before you tone it down. It's a day to go on a drunken sexual spree. In fact, the whole Mardi Gras parade appeals to lust. Skimpily clad dancers in the parade. Along the route, women in the stores or buildings burying themselves. The owner thinks, would I be contributing to pagan immorality? And yet, he can see that the salesman's idea might generate some business. Nothing else he's tried so far has worked. He's got what few employees remaining, and he's got his own mortgage. He's got college tuition payments somewhere down the line, retirement. If he loses the store, he doesn't know what else he'd do. Retail is all he's ever known. To say nothing of the shame of losing a family business that's been in the family for three generations. He decides to mention the idea to his Wednesday morning men's group, five guys that gather every week for a little Bible study, a little prayer, and sharing of each other's lives. He tells them about his financial difficulties, tells them about the salesman's ideas, and says, what do you, what do you guys think? None of them say anything. They see the rock. The hard place. If he goes bankrupt, employees lose their job, business is lost. There's a good chance the salesman's idea would go viral on YouTube. They don't know what to say. Finally, the older guy in the group, an elder, he kind of starts slowly. Well, sometimes you do what you have to to make a living. There's no benefit in going bankrupt. You have a responsibility to your family, to your employees. And, you know, and maybe there's spiritual benefit in there somewhere. You'll get a deeper insight into just how far our culture is from God, what Christ has saved us from. Sometimes you do what you have to do. Let's suppose there's a Christian executive secretary who works in the city of Phoenix. Her boss, her boss is the vice president of a large commercial development company. The company is planning a new resort in the Valley of the Sun, complete with golf course, five-star dining, luxury suites. Some foreign investors are flying in on the weekend to consider putting up money for the resort. A few days before the weekend, her boss comes to her with a job he wants her to do. He gives her the phone number of an outfit called Hospitality International. Hospitality International, that's a euphemism for 
high-priced call girl service. He tells her to use a limousine service to pick the girls up, to take them to the hotel. On the way, stop at Sardi's restaurant, pick up a very expensive food-to-go order. Her boss doesn't care whether the people in the hotel eat the food. He just wants invoices that look good that he can send to accounting. Invoices that look like they came from a high-priced restaurant, a limousine service, and an hospitality agency that will disguise the true nature of what happened and make it look to accounting like a legitimate hosting of -of out-of-town guests took place. He leaves her to handle the details. The Christian executive secretary sits at her desk and says to herself, he wants me to provide prostitutes for them. That's not something I want to do. But if I don't do it, there's a whole lot of women in this company that would love a shot at my job. She brings it up that night to her community Bible study group, to the small discussion table that she sits around. She tells them the job her boss gave her to do. She tells them about the invoices that will disguise the prostitution. Most of all, she tells them about her fear that if she doesn't do it, she'll lose her job. None of the women at the table say anything. Pretty soon all the heads turn toward the leader of the group, an older woman who has taught Bible studies for years and who has some experience working in secular corporations. The older woman kind of, well, sometimes you do what you have to to keep your job. Good jobs are hard to come by. There's no guarantee that the next guy you work for won't ask you to do something, same thing. And, you know, besides there might be some deeper insight into just how far our society has moved from God's desires. I suppose there's a university freshman that's interested in joining a particular fraternity. The fraternity he has in mind is for pre-law students, which is his field. The fraternity has the reputation of helping its members get into the best law schools around the country. The fraternity also arranges meetings with practicing lawyers, judges, state leaders. And at these meetings, the contacts and networks that you make are invaluable for your future career. If he can join and be accepted by this fraternity, he will take a big step towards setting up his future prospects. The difficulty is that to get accepted by the fraternity, he has to go to a weekend party with the other pledges. One of the sororities on campus is co-hosting the party and their pledges will be there also. The advertising for the party advertises a beer and bikini contest and whoever wins the contests from the sorority and the fraternity will be accepted into the groups. He asked one of the older guys, what, what was this beer and bikini contest? And the older guy says, oh man, we got these big kegs, we fill them up with beer, we turn them upside down on stands, we put a hose or a tube through it, and whoever can the most. If you're in the top 10, you're automatically in the fraternity. 
And well, what's the bikini? Oh, well, last oh last year turned out to be a wet T-shirt contest. I hear the girls are talking about doing the same thing this year. And the Christian student kind of blinks his eyes and thinks, neither one of those are going to do my Christian testimony much good. But if I can just get through the evening, maybe down the line I can have a positive influence. And yet, how much of the world's way can you do things, especially given the inevitable hookups that will occur when that party is over? He decides to stop by the church to talk to his youth pastor, see what he'd have to say. Tells the youth pastor how uncomfortable he is with the idea of the weekend party, but how valuable the fraternity would be in connecting him with key players throughout the state. Youth pastor listens carefully, thinks what an influence this sharp kid could have in the legal field down the line. Finally, he says to the kid, sometimes you do what you have to to create your future networks and career opportunities. Sounds like being part of the fraternity is essential to that happening. You'll be handicapped without it. And, you know, maybe somewhere in there you'll actually get a deeper insight into how to witness to these fraternity guys who don't have a clue spiritually. Sometimes you do what you have to to hang on to your business, to keep your job, to create your future networks. What do you think of that advice? What do you think of that advice that sometimes you just have to accommodate to the way things are if you're going to be financially viable. Sometimes you do what you have to to keep your job, your business, hang on to your job, create your network. What do you think of that teaching? That's the teaching that was occurring in one of the early churches. There were spiritual leaders in the church who were telling the Christians, given the economic realities of our city, if you're going to be economically viable, you're going to have to accommodate yourself and do what's necessary. If you want to hang on to your business, if you want to keep your job, if you want to create your future career opportunities. The city that the church was located in was a manufacturing city, a city known throughout the region for the quality products that it put out, bronze pieces, woven basketry, finely dyed pottery, bright colored linens, bakery products, every industry top-notch famous throughout the area. Inside the city, each one of these industries tended to congregate in a particular area or section of the city, some square blocks in which all of that industry was located, kind of like a garment industry or a bakery bakery industry section, district. And all the people who lived and worked in those districts, they formed tight-knit social units for business and social activities. 
They essentially became trade unions. They had their own banquet halls. They had their own community district activities. They had their own monthly union meetings. The problem for the Christians was that each of these unions also had their own sponsoring deity, a pagan god or a goddess, which each union attributed their financial prosperity to the efforts of that deity. Every union had an idol featured, uh, an image of the deity featured prominently in their union halls and And every banquet that they came to, every monthly meeting started off with everybody rising and dedicating the food to this pagan god or goddesses who was responsible for the financial success of their industry. And after offering the food to the idol, to the image of the deity, they sat, they ate, and the wine flowed, and the evening degenerated into drunkenness. And then women who had been hired for the evening came in and pairings and hookups moved into the side rooms of the banqueting hall. And the Christians wondered, can we be part of these unions? Can we go to these monthly meetings? Can we stand and honor a deity that is financially responsible for the success supposedly of this Do we engage in the activities? Can a Christian who owned a business in one of these industries, can somebody whose professional job was in one of these products, can somebody whose apprenticeship for the future depended on being integrated into the force, could they go to those evenings? offer food to an idol, participate in the evening's events. It seemed necessary to do so. It seemed that their livelihood was dependent on it. If you didn't belong to the union, they didn't shop in your shop. They didn't come to your business. If you didn't belong, if you didn't go to the monthly meetings, pretty soon you'll lose your job. If you didn't engage in the activities, well, you're not part of the good old boy network for the future. To the Christians it seemed that their economic viability meant accommodating themselves to the way things were. But they weren't sure. And so they asked spiritual leaders in their church. They asked someone who they trusted, somebody they thought was spiritually mature someone who they thought could give advice that was worthy. What should we do? And the answer they got was, sometimes you do what you have to, to hang on to your shop, to keep your job, to create your network for the future. And to that church, to those who were teaching it, to those who were following it, to that church, and to any church where that advice is given, 
the Son of God stands with blazing directness and he says to that church, you're a terrific church. And every year you get better. But whoever teaches that and whoever follows it is under my judgment and they have to go. You're an outstanding church. Every year you outdo yourselves. But I will severely judge anyone who gives that advice and anyone who follows it because deep down that advice makes your job or your income your Lord instead of me. That teaching puts money as the authority in your life instead of me. That teaching deep down says your ultimate reward comes from the marketplace, not from me. You're a terrific church. And every year you outdo yourselves. But whoever teaches or follows that is under my judgment. But if you will resist that teaching, if you will hold fast to me, if you will stay faithful to me, if you will trust me, I will reward you incredibly. If you will trust me for your economics, if you will trust me for your business or your job or your future, I will bless you beyond imagination. To get the full force of the Lord's words to this church, let's turn to the letter that was sent to them. It's one of seven letters sent to different churches in that time. This particular letter is sent to the church in the manufacturing city of Thyatira. It's in Revelation 2. If you want to pick the Bible out of the uh, rack in front of you, it'll be on page 1029. Page 1029. Revelation 2, page 1029. The Lord says first to the church, you're a terrific church. Verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, to the leader in charge of the church of Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes that penetrate the church like a flame of fire, and whose feet stand over it in majestic authority like bronzed, burnished bronze. To the church of Thyatira write, you're a terrific church. Verse 19, I know your works. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your love which causes you to serve one another so well. I know your faith which leads to such patient endurance through all kinds of difficulties. I know your works. I know your love. 
and your faith and your servants, service and your patient endurance. I know these things about you. And I know that every year you outdo yourself. I know that your latter works exceed the first. You're a terrific church. But I have something against you. Verse 20. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. You tolerate a woman in your church who is a spiritual leader, but she is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. She is teaching the believers in that city that sometimes you do what you have to, you go to the banquet halls, you offer the food to the pagan deity, and you engage in the sexual immorality that follows. You do that given the economic realities of the Thyatira trade unions. If you're going to hang on to your business and keep your job and create your future, sometimes you accommodate yourself to what needs to be done. You are tolerating that woman. She is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat the food that has been offered to the images. She calls herself a prophetess. She considers herself a spiritual leader. She views that what she says comes from God. She calls herself a prophetess. I call her Jezebel. I call her the name of Israel's wicked because she is doing in your church in Thyatira what Jezebel did centuries earlier in Israel, teaching my people to honor pagan gods and engage in sexual immorality. Jezebel was the daughter of the king of the country north of Israel. King Ahab went north, made her his wife, brought her down to be queen in Israel. And when she came down, she brought her pagan worship with her. Her country in the north, Sidon, was the center of Baal worship. Baal was a god that was honored as bringing economic prosperity to the land. And the worship of Baal centered around sexual immorality. Baal was considered the god of fertility, the one who made the fields grow, the trees bear fruit, the animals give birth, the god of fertility, prosperity. And the worship of Baal centered around sexual immorality. Baal was considered to have a female consort, a female goddess, companion goddess. And it was believed that whenever Baal and Ashtart, which was the name of the female consort, whenever Baal and Ashtart engaged in sexual intercourse in the heavens, their seminal fluids fell to the earth in the form of rain and impregnated the ground, causing fertility and prosperity. And the worship of Baal was designed to encourage Baal and Ashtar to engage in the sex act so that the rains would fall and the earth would bloom. 
And the way you encouraged them as you went into the banqueting halls and you offered food to the god and the goddess and then you had sexual intercourse with one of the sacred prostitutes in the temple in order to show the god and the goddess what you wanted them to do. And thus you brought financial prosperity to your life. Jezebel in Israel was teaching, offer food to the God, engage in sexual immorality. And in the church of Thyatira, a spiritual leader was saying, go to the banquet halls, dedicate the food to the patron God, be part of the evening's activity. Sometimes you do what you have to in order to keep your business, to hang on to your job, to create your future. And just as God's judgment came on Jezebel of old, God's judgment comes on this or any church which teaches or follows this teaching. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And so my judgment is on her and her followers. I will throw her onto a sickbed. The word describes physical ailments, physical sicknesses. I will throw her onto a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. The word tribulation indicates lingering ailments, uh, deteriorating sicknesses. I will throw them into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And those who continue to follow her teachings, I will strike her children dead. Ultimately, it will lead to fatal illnesses, premature deaths. And the churches will know, I am he who searches the mind and knows the true thinking. I am the one who searches into the core of the heart and I know what is deeply going on at stake. And I will reward you. I will give to you as your works deserve what your true motivations are. I will respond to. Because deep down, if you teach or follow this, you have made your job or your income your Lord, not me. You have put money as the authority in your life, not me. Those who buy into and act according to this teaching have dethroned him as Lord. They have rejected him as God and his judgment is on them. But if you will resist this teaching, if you will hold fast to him as Lord, if you will stay true and be faithful to him, he will bless you incredibly. Verse 24 
to the rest of you in Thyatira, to those of you in this terrific church who do not hold this teaching, those of you who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, you have not accepted the rationalization that somewhere in there there's a hidden spiritual benefit, you will get some deep insight into sin and Satan's evil and you'll appreciate all the more what Christ has done for you to those who do not hold to this teaching. You've not learned what some call the deep sins of Satan. To you, to the rest of you, I don't lay on you any other burden. There isn't anything else that I have against you. You're a terrific church. Just Hold fast what you have until I come. And if you will, if you will hold fast, if you will stay true, if you will trust me, if you will conquer your fear of what will happen to me economically, if you will conquer your fear of will I be financially okay, if you'll trust me for the business, if you'll trust me for the job, if you'll trust me for the future, if you will stay true and faithful, I will reward you incredibly. Verse 26, the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. When I return to rule, I will put you in positions of influence over a lot of people. You will have oversight over wide areas. Those of you who stayed with me against the world's threats and pressures, you will stand with me in authority over the world's nations. People will come to you for direction. Your decisions will be final. Nobody under you will speak or act against you because they will know you will have all the power you need to bring them into conformity. It will be as though you hold in your hand an iron rod and it's like smashing pottery to pieces if anyone is not with you. My father said, that's the authority I would have. Back in Psalm 2, he told me that when I came to rule, I would stand as one who had an iron rod and any who resisted, I would smash them to pieces. That's what he said in Psalm 2. And I tell you now, I'll share that with you. Verse 26, the one who conquers keeps my words to the end. I'll give authority over the nations. And as my father said of me, he will rule them with a rod of iron. It'll be as earthen pots are broken to pieces if somebody resists, even as I received that authority from my father back in Psalm 2. To those of you who resist that teaching, hold fast, trust, remain faithful. Believe that I am your rewarder and your protector when I come. Everything that I am and everything that I have, I will give to you. I will give you myself. That's the meaning of verse 28. I will give him the morning star. The morning star is Jesus. The end of the book of Revelation identifies him as the bright morning star. To those who hold to the end everything that he is, everything that he has, he gives to you. What does it mean he will give the morning star? The morning star 
is the planet Venus. The morning star is visible an hour before the dawn. In the night sky, one hour before the new day comes, the morning star becomes visible. It's the brightest object in the sky after the moon. The morning star means a new day is coming. And Jesus is saying, if you will hold fast and remain true to me, when I rise to rule the earth as the morning star rises to rule the day, everything that I am, everything that I have, I will give to you. My reward will be with you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I am your Lord. I am your reward. Hold fast. Let our ears hear. Let our eyes see to that day. Let our hearts have courage to hold fast. In Jesus' name, amen. for your generous response to Don. Have a seat for a moment. Um, I was 12 years old when Don Sanukian came to be senior pastor of Scottsdale Bible Church. This is the man that opened the word of God to me as I was a, a young boy and a young man, and uh, I had the privilege of hearing this for years from you. We had the privilege of Don's teaching, but we also, as you heard, had the privilege of his really godly leadership. The vision that Don helped foster and sponsor for this piece of property to buy and to, to occupy. And by the way, there were a lot of naysayers at the time. Nobody would ever live at Scottsdale and Shea. That was in the middle of cattle country, literally. But thanks to your leadership as well as your pastoring and your teaching, uh, you know, we've thought, we've talked a lot over the course of the years so far about how blessed we are that every single one of our senior pastors can return with full hearts and gratitude mutually. And what a beautiful gift from God that that is to us. And it's, it's Gospel Bible Church and to I, you as I, well. I have to tell you, that picture that showed all five or six of us standing up there, that they did it, that day as I stood up there, I said to myself, I am so incredibly proud to be part of this group, this group of guys. Every one of them has stayed true to the Lord, there isn't a breath of scandal among any one of them. They have served the Lord for a long time, and they all have love for each other. I thought, I, I don't know of another group of guys that I would be so incredibly proud to be part of. Amen. Amen. So, Don, as we present this to you, Hebrews 13, 7, inscribed on it says, Remember your leaders 
who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And we are grateful that we can do that with you. So from Scottsdale Bible Church. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this is your church. You are, in fact, the senior pastor of this church. And uh, thank you for giving us the gift of men like Don and women like Nell to be our pastors and to lead us. What a gift you've given us. Lord, we are grateful. We ask that we continue to imitate their faith and that we continue, Father, to to take this legacy, this heritage of faith and godliness and devotion to Jesus that has gone on before and build on to it in the future. Father, for the Sanukians and for their family, we pray your blessing on them as you have provided that your hand would continue to be on them, that they would feel your closeness and your grace at all times, and that you would continue to bear much fruit through their lives as you have been doing for health and uh, for a chance to be together again soon. Lord, we are so grateful and we offer all this thanks to you in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Well done.